from New Tricks this week, we're joined by Mo Sondi, Senior Director, Debt Finance at Oak North Bank, as we inch ever closer to the quarter of reckoning. We discussed the opportunities the pandemic presented to proactive operators, the need to understand what is underpinning demand and how a flexible operating model is the key to ultimate glory. Hello and welcome to another episode of New Tricks, which is the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. And it um, we were alerted to the fact that we are now on episode 51, which is both remarkable and um, hugely thrilling. So thank you to everybody who bothers to listen, which as we say repeatedly, it's we're staggered by that it is more than just my mother, although we're very pleased that she does listen. Um, but yes, absolutely. So thank you to everyone for listening and supporting us. And here we are in episode 51. It Catherine seems like there should be like an Area 51 gag to be done here. So if I do come it. up with that before the end, <laughs> absolutely amazing. Um, in the meantime, our guest today will be relieved to learn that we're not going to do any alien probes uh, that we know of. <laughs> we, this is very oh, true. That's it's not how we do That we know of. And um, our guest this week uh, is Mo Sondi, and he is the Senior Director, Debt Finance at Oak North Bank. Mo, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. My pleasure to join. Thank you for the invite. From a very sunny Soho, which is a lovely way to start the week. Lovely. London is lovely in the sunshine. It really is. How's Paris in the springtime? Paris in the springtime is very much Paris in the springtime. Tourists, people carousing, that kind of, oh, we remember that the summer holidays will be along soon type feeling. So if anyone has that one week of work they need people to do, because there's always that one week, isn't there? It's not taken up by anything else. This is the week to get it done because people are starting to think, Mm, I could get the train to Milan. And that's not the way to get things done, is it, people? And has um has Spuddy successfully reacclimatized from the mountains back into the urban environment the urban to spot, which he yes. is more familiar? He's feeling much better about it now. Uh all is well. He's been spending some quality time on the metro. Excellent. Spuddy is the uh, is the new dog dog mo for your just for your background information and likes regular appear, regularly appearing on the podcast. Oh, we're gonna get a visual. See, he's 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 the brains behind this outfit, essentially. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> um right. So we are we're generally very excited to have you on because we want to talk we want to know all about what's going on in the world of financing and funding and uh, all that good stuff. Um Indeed, to- we can't have a deal go by without it involving Oak North. Um <laughs> so or is it or to give you your formal name it used to be Oak North Challenger Bank, didn't it? Um which I believe is is the is the full long name. Oak North Challenger Bank. You couldn't say anything without mentioning it, without calling it Oak North Challenger Bank. Um, but now, presumably, it's just Oak North. Now you've done all of the deals in the sector. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think it was always Oak North, but I think because we were a challenger, that it was always club, club together. But now I think it, look, it's a testament to what we've achieved in the last six years. I think we're established and we'll continue to do great things in the sector. Established Oak North. Um, and on the great things that you're doing in the sector, um, so this, to, 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 to give it some, some context, you posted uh, a very interesting article on LinkedIn uh, last week, the week before, well, I saw it last week, um, which uh, we were riveted by, mm. hence the must get, let's get in touch with Mo and see if he fancies some podcasting on a Monday morning, which mercifully you did. Um and so I think, so should we start off with a sort of broad, broad question on the demand that you're seeing? Because we will have escaped absolutely nobody's 
attention whatsoever that we have been through a tricky time for the hospitality sector. So, and so, what's the general mood out there? Have you got a lot of people? Uh, yeah, t- talk us through the general mood in terms of demand. In demand for hospitality or demand for people trying to transact in this space? Demand for cash, hard cash. What do they they want it for? (laughs) So there's a number of operators who are now, have reopened, businesses going really well, looking to expand, uh, take advantage of opportunity. I think there's always a lag with the traditional banking markets about them being open for business in the hospitality space because of what happened in COVID. We've always tried to be very consistent through the cycle. There'll always be winners, even through a, a recession or a tough time. And there's, there's always, there'll always be very good businesses to back. And that's what we've done. And we've done it consistently well over a period of time. So COVID's really allowed us to accelerate that on board some clients that, to be fair, in normal times, we probably don't have a right to onboard because they're so well serviced and banked. But, you know, as those other institutions have internal issues to deal with, the client becomes a little bit secondary. And, you know, we, we're, we're more front-footed. Like I said, consistency is key to a client. It's about deliverability. And we're known in the market for that. So for that, it's been great. Hospitality has come back really strongly. I, I think what COVID has proven is, is that humans like to interact with each other. You know, lockdowns sort of make you appreciate that you do like to go and see your friends and family, meet them in different settings. And I think hospitality has seen a big uptick especially if you look around in London, if I look at Soho as sort of where we're based, you know, you try to get a lunch on a Thursday, Friday or something, you have to book weeks in advance. Um, the pubs are very busy, everyone's out and about, um, and there's a real buzz about it. I suppose the question is, how long does that, how long does that continue? Someone eloquently put it to me, revenge spend. You know, people are out there spending money, which they, you know, they haven't had a chance to spend. They're not going on holidays and stuff, and they, you know, they're, they're I wouldn't say blasé about it, but they don't really care what the cost is at this point because they just enjoy going out. I think the challenge for the sector becomes as you fast forward three to six months, you've got inflation in the market, you've got energy inflation, you've got price rises coming through, you've got the impact of Brexit with staffing in hospitality, you've got interest rate rises and discretionary income. You know, that, that will be squeezed and people will start thinking about their purse again. You've got travel expenses now with people coming back to work which a lot of people the last couple of years haven't had. So it'll be interesting how the hospitality market adapts because I think you've seen some real inflation in that space and people have been happy to pay that. And then it goes back down to where they innovate as operators, how flexible they are, what technology have they used to really streamline their business behind the scenes. Have they used COVID as as a positive in as much as you can and say, look, we need to relook at our whole business again Start with a blank sheet of paper and see what do we actually need to do here? How are we fit for purpose going forward? And some of those very smart operators have, you know, pressed the acceleration button on capex spending. Um, they've looked to diversify into other areas. Say, look, we know what our key strength is, but staycations. You know, people want to are going. I think we'll hold a more in the UK going forward. So actually. Is that a market that we should be in, especially if we're good at the the service element, at the the high-end sort of city centre, five-star end? And I think there'll be more and more of those operators who will look at that and say, actually, you know what, there's other stuff we can do to to better, I'd say, bulletproof their business. Um, 
and it's been fascinating to work with them and actually learn from them as well. And it, you know, one of the best things about our business model is is that yes, we are a financier. Yes, we lend money, but we are a true value add proposition because we partner with them. We're not the cheapest in the market. We never try to be. We don't offer the most leverage in the market. That's just not our business model. We try to help firms grow, develop together. Um, every deal for us is bespoke, is different, is structured accordingly. Every client is different. We don't have a, I don't have a sort of a product suite I'll re- roll out to you as a hotel and say, oh, which one would you want to pick? One, two or three? It, it doesn't work that way. And I think in a COVID world, you have to appreciate that every business has faced different challenges. Mm. When is it? How are you? How are you seeing? Because we we hear a lot of like the, particularly the word of the sort of the last the most recent results season was all looking back to twenty nineteen, looking back to twenty nineteen, looking back to twenty nineteen. When you're looking to refinance someone, where do you look for your kind of optimistic baseline? It's such a great question. Um, I often ask the values this question because I think they've got a, they've got an incredibly hard job. So I speak to a lot of values in the market. How do you do your job here? How do, how do you when someone asks you what the valuation is? What do you underpin it on? Um, it's difficult. Nineteen was the most normalised year that we had pre-COVID. So you have to use that as the benchmark. Um, look, the honest answer is no one really knows at this point. You know, you, you'll have you'll have management information, you'll have indication of how you traded through COVID. I think the key thing you need to look at, or I look at, is what steps did management take through COVID? What's underpinning demand? What supply is coming through? I mean, we're lucky that we're a, we're a fintech business. We have fantastic technology. We've got fantastic data points that we can pull upon. So the analysis I can do compared to some of my competitors is, is streets ahead. So I'm very, we're very comfortable with the underwrite and what we're doing with it. But look, the key is management delivery. So, you know, one of our unique things as a business is that we're the only institution in the UK that allows or welcomes the management teams to co-present our credit committee. So they present their case to us, uh, with us. And it's a very open, transparent forum. There's no, oh, we're going to take this to credit. We'll come back to you in a week and let you know the answer. And then the client scratches their head and says, what exam question did you ask them? Because this is what I asked. And then it, and I think that just helps build a relationship, trust between, and not just sharing knowledge, because there'll be stuff that we don't per se know. They live and breathe the industry, but there'll be stuff that we know that they won't be aware of because we'll see it from a macro perspective. You know, they're very much in the detail of that, maybe that one, two, three, or four assets. Um, so it's a real collegiate approach, and that's what's for me, has built our successful model. It's interesting you say management because before, back in 2019, when people were looking to fund particularly the big high street banks, it was... Oh, management relationships, of course, relationship banking. Um, and um, and then, but still that kind of the last moment of reassurance was a brand. And they were using the management, very nice relationship, but a brand made everyone feel better about themselves. <laughs> Excuse me. Do you think that the role of the brand has changed in the last couple of years? Yeah, no, it's an interesting one because I think different, different institutions do it differently. And the brand is important, but let's be clear, management have to deliver the brand. So it all goes back to management. That, you know, that, that's the fundamental of it. Management are the gatekeepers of that asset. They look after it. They manage. That's who you're backing to effectively repay or service your loan. You cannot look past that. They're, they're, they are, you know, you can have a phenomenal brand and terrible management. It's never going to work. You can have a phenomenal management team, average brand, and it will still work. And it will still work really well. And I think you just have to remember that. 
Where do um, where do hotels sit when you're just co- contemplating when you were talking about you know taking the proposition to credit and having those discussions sort of with the various parties involved? Where do uh, from your point of view, where do hotels sit? Uh, as an asset class are they now yeah get it we understand hotels realize it's an operating business that makes total sense or are they still seen as something that's I don't know either a a uh, something that sort of a a luxury asset or b slightly complicated or see any yeah any of the where do they sort of fit in terms of the how they're understood within the other asset classes Um, from our perspective it's relatively straightforward We, we see it as operational real estate um, mm-hmm. You know, we look at the business and the real estate both combined and make a view. Um, uh, your question's a good one, but I think that's more of a question for the traditional lenders where sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll struggle a little bit with that because sometimes they'll look at the leverage of the underlying business without taking into account the value of the asset and vice versa. Sometimes you can be, Sometimes you can just look at the value of the asset without looking at the trading of the business. And you you, you need to understand both. And, and again, I think this is where we're unique. We don't have separate teams for that at Oak North. You know, we have one holistic view. We have a credit committee that, you know, one credit committee with the same members on it. So they get to see from a, like I said, a, holistically. And that makes us make consistent decisions in the sector. Makes sense. Absolutely. Um development is that a is that a word that you're embracing or are you thinking no chance not quite yet no we love development we've done a lot of it through covid so again good opportunities good management team good business plans yeah we're open for it you know and and actually if you think about it now is probably the best time to do development because it won't hit the market until two three years time so what will happen typically through a recession is development will pause and then when the market recovers, there'll be excess demand, lack of supply. So actually, anything you fund now, the vintage should, theoretically, all things being equal, the vintage should be good. Yeah. Um, one of the things you mentioned in your article uh, was future-proofing. And we've seen, as you mentioned, lots of trends um, sort of accelerating during the pandemic, whether that be staycations, well-being, technology. So as a, as a, um, as a hotelier, as an operator, how are you viewing, how are you judging, how are you kind of assessing the future-proofness, is that a word? Mm. It is now, um, of hotels. Yes. Is it about sort of being flexible? being able to be flexible or is it about some definite permanent shift because we hear a lot of stuff about working from hotel and digital nomads and and that sort of thing is it about is flexibility about being flexible on the hoof or is it about being flexible now to make some permanent move i think it's a combination thing so let me take the flexibility point i think that's so important now going forward i think as a consumer when we part with our money, we want full flex because we don't know what tomorrow will hold, whether it's COVID or something else. So what our fear is, is that we spend a lot of money on a holiday and that money's lost or it's difficult to get back. So if we rewind to March 2020, when the world got hit with COVID and all the airlines and we booked everyone had booked holidays and the amount of time and energy and the stress it causes having thousands of pounds caught up in a transaction that you have no control over. So I think those hoteliers that adapt to that and say, how do I make that consumer centric will always do well and easy to use. And to be fair to hotels and airlines, I think they've done a great job trying to 
trying to work with the consumer on that. I think they're trying to constrain it a bit more now and make it less flexible than it has because maybe we're coming out of COVID, maybe not. Who knows? Um, so I think that's that's interesting. I, I think from future-proofing a business, I think the business has to look at actually what is what is its actual purpose there. You know, from a hotel, what are they actually trying to be? Is it is it luxury and is it true luxury and therefore really focus on that customer service, high-end stuff? Is it experience-led? You know, is it something where people go there and just are blown away for a couple of nights think, wow, prices are irrelevant. It's been like going to a, a restaurant for a nice meal. If you have a great meal at a restaurant, you really look at how much it costs you. You just enjoy the meal. It's only when you feel that it hasn't delivered your expectation, you suddenly question things. Or is it then, from a hotel's perspective, it's just functional. It's just cheap, cheerful and works. And it's clean and efficient. That's it. And I, I think you just have to be clear, what do you want to do? I don't think you can be in between these. You can't play between, oh, one day we'll be a four-star hotel, then we're going to be a two-star you know, in the next year because we feel that that's the best way to do it. And I, and I think that's, I think the industry's woken up to that. You've got to play to your strengths. Yeah, I agree. I was thinking, as you're talking, I was thinking about the, your, um, so sort of finding your purpose and sticking to it linked to the revenge spend that you talked about early on. Um, and I wonder if there's a correlation between, we've talked about this previously on the podcast. I wonder if there's a correlation between that, the part of the consumption of hospitality and tourism that is the anticipation of it. So, you know, this is the time of year that people book summer holidays and that, and you can kind of, you know, that you've got that to look forward to and, there's a break coming and there's some rest but but I don't think that exists in the same quantity anymore because we've lived through two and a half years of things not necessarily happening being cancelled for you know various another lockdown or a spike in or a new variant or whatever it may be so I I suspect that that uh, what you're seeing in Soho on a Thursday and Friday and throughout the country is people knowing that they right here right now it's sunny they've got cash in their pockets and they're so they're going to go out and spend it so that is interesting for the sector in as we go down the line because you need to you know cost inflation is a massive thing the price of living there's just a lot of things that need to be factored in um but the opportunity to grasp right now is one that does require a huge amount of flexibility i don't necessarily know if there's a question in my rambling but it's more an observation of that enjoying what you know you can do right now because the thing that you've booked in four months time we've now programmed to think there's probably a 50% chance of it happening. I won't get too excited. Well, we, we've seen the booking windows have have narrowed massively, haven't they? Because people are doing exactly that. Um, and it does take away from your enjoyment of, of planning stuff. People love to plan stuff and, oh, look, I'm going to go here and, you know, all this kind of nonsense. And I'm going to look all over the Google map to see what's next door and ruin the entire experience for myself by knowing everything about it before I even get there. <laughs> but, which is fine. But, yes, I would... I want for if you're planning a business, um, you know, if and you're just waiting for sort of, should you? I don't know. Should you be focusing on events? I don't mean events like conferences. I mean sort of like lifetime events mm. and selling those, which are less likely to be cancelled um, if you're trying to plan your business because people do try and plan, don't they? For what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a couple of points there. I, I think. I think that when we're talking about overseas travel and even inbound tourism, should we say, I think 
let, let, let's look at the staycation market. I, I, I think what's happened in the UK is this, that what we've realised is everyone, irrespective of whether you're going abroad or not, everyone needs a break. So everyone's going to holiday somewhere. So I think some of the regional operators have realised actually focusing on the local market will always be important going forward. And, uh, the same probably goes for overseas. It's where they've lost overseas tourism. Focusing locally actually adds, makes their business actually more robust, you would say, in that respect. So I think that should be a net positive, especially if you see an upgrade of regional facilities as well, where there's more investment done and there's a better investment case for it as well. And let's be fair, there's some fantastic places in the UK to go and hold it. There really is. And that's why we get so much inbound tourism. Sometimes you forget what's on your doorstep, right? I think that the second point you were making around hospitality today, and it's okay today, but there are headwinds coming. Right? We know there's headwinds. Everyone knows that. We talk about it. And again, it goes down to the, those operators that realize that and saying, look, this is going to be unsustainable in respect that the consumers aren't just going to just spend without thinking for the next six to nine months. So therefore, how do we transition from, look, everything – Everyone is spending today, the sun is shining, it's great, to that rainy day when actually we need some to pay the wages and bring them in to enjoy themselves. And I think the sensible operator is already thinking about how do we do that? How do we offer value? What, what does value look like in from the consumer's perspective? And they are the best operators because they would have already been thinking about that today. They won't be looking at, oh, these are record months for us trading. We've had a great January, February, March looks great. It's like, actually, what's September going to look like? How do, I, how do I make someone come in in September? How do they make Emily, Catherine, and Mo come in in September when we've just been hit with our summer holiday bills? You know, we, we know they sort of want to go out, but they'll only go out if it's worthwhile going out. How do, how do we drag them in? I think, I think that will be interesting, what, what, what they do. And do you have those, you mentioned the sort of the relationship and the partnership between your customers and, and, your, and, and the bank. Do you get involved in those conversations or do you suggest that that might be a sensible thing to be thinking about? How, what's the sort of level of involvement with, with you that you get to? So we ask them those questions through our credit committee process. What does the future look like? How, how do you, like you said, how do you future proof? Because I'm lending, we're lending money today for maybe up to five years time, right? So we need to know that. I think this, the second thing is, as we said, it, it's part of sharing knowledge between us and actually sharing it between our clients as well. What is best practice? What are people thinking of? You know, it, it, it's, it's an ecosystem for us that we, we want it to be as successful as possible. You know, we're all in this to make sure it all works together. And, as, and that's the one thing that COVID showed us is collectively we'll manage through it. And that's been a real success for us. Do you think um, we are great fans? Well, when I say we are great fans, but Catherine in particular is hugely excited about the quarter of reckoning. Mm. You do the voice? Quarter of reckoning. So this is where um, what has been previously all harmonious and ticking along then suddenly comes to a point of real, you know, sort of realism kicks in and um, we have this enormous sort of series of M&A happening or whatever, whatever, lots of uh, movement within the sector. <laughs> we have spoken to lots of people uh, about this. And, and I think the general view to date is that because this is something that was no one's fault, um, there is a much, there is an attitude of we are exactly as you just said, we're all in this together, and we're going to make it work. Do you think that is a true um, and be the same across the lending landscape or do you think there might be some lenders that think I'm feel slightly less patient than others it's a great question um look I agree with Catherine I think there is a call coming 
Right. <laughs> That's good to know, Catherine. That's good to know. Yes. Um, is important in these difficult times. Um, I, I, I genuinely think they do. And that's my personal view. The, the reason being is that I think pre-COVID, there were a number of hotel assets which were in particular over-levered. Um, and they were on trading numbers based on 19. So they have to be refinanced, re-looked at. I think financial institutions have been kind to date because of COVID and no one wants... I think people have been nervous about the rep risk, about enforcing in this current world. But I think as that fades away, they look at the numbers, they look at that asset and think, actually, is that a great business? Do we want to we want to clean up our own balance sheets? And, you know, I, I think at the moment you have some some banks who are, are politely telling their clients to refinance elsewhere. I think when they when that becomes a bit more, when they when they sh- they show their teeth a little bit more and actually force them to refinance. I think then it'll be interesting. How does the market absorb that? Look, there's a lot of liquidity out there because a number of distress funds are, have been set up for the hotel sector as well. So they're waiting for that moment. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. But I think there w- there has to be a correction. We just don't know when. And look, f- furlough's gone. Sea bills have gone. No CL. You know, the government support has, has now effectively ended. You've got inflation in the market. So... You know, one of the issues that hospitality in particular has, and this is Brexit related, not COVID related per se, staffing, you know, getting the right staff, cost of staff. You know, if you, if you talk to operators, that's a key issue for them at the moment, training. Um, and then you've got interest rate rises. You know, if you've been in an environment of 10 basis points and now they're saying we'll raise another 25 this week, I think it is, um, to take it 75, that's quite a material change. It doesn't feel it because, you know, I'm of a generation where I remember in 1990, I think it was 16% interest rate or something, you know. So you know, when you talk 75 basis points, it's still a, that, that feels very small, but it's all relative. You know, that, that, that's gone up in quite a short period of time. And it takes time for this to filter through, especially in a financing structure. So if the cash flows are squeezed because of inflation, because their costs have increased and squeezed because of servicing costs, something has to give. It's interesting that you talk about the interest rate rise because we talk about people about the imminent interest rate rise and they say, oh, but if you look, you know, compared to years and years and years and years and years ago, it's nothing, it's nothing. But it isn't. People don't look back to what happened years and years ago. These businesses are built on that model, on the current model, not on the model of, oh, well, you know, we're paying loads, but much exactly the same as particularly in the, the restaurant sector. These businesses, these brands were all built on cheap labour. Um, you know, the huge boom that we saw in the sort of late 90s of, of brands, coffee brands and things like that were all built on the idea that we had loads and loads of stuff and they were all very cheap. And now they're not here. They've gone. They weren't built on, you know, 20 years ago staffing, much as the same for the thing that you're absolutely right, that all these things were built on interest rates being this much, not, well, you know, 50 years ago interest rates. So, yeah, so... I said, Catherine, I, I I fully agree with you. I think I don't know. Look, neither of us know when the quarter of reckoning will coming, and you know, people will say soon, Q three, Q four. Who knows? But it it just you just feel it just has to happen. As you say, there's there's got to be some correction. Um, we'll sit and carry on waiting patiently and observe and ponder and muse. We're fine. We've exactly. got you We've got and me and you know Whitbread, who are this their yeah. model, isn't it? Their whole model is based around the quarter of reckoning. Um. 
So we are sort of galloping along here. Um, and I think we've covered most of the bits and pieces that we um, discussed in our in immensely, immensely in-depth research for and preparation for this piece. Um, so if you've got a couple more minutes, we might ask you the questions that we ask all our guests at the end of the recording. Yeah, feel free to. I'm really happy to. Marvellous. Okay. Question one. When the shutters came up and I had the jabs in my arm, the first thing I did was... If you can recall back to that point. Organised to meet some mates for some drinks. <laughs> Yay. Very good. And was it glorious in every way? It really was, actually. Yeah, we went to this <laughs> lovely pub in uh, Parsons Green. On Yeah, it was lovely. It was a lovely day. I'm not sure it was worth the wait because it was a long wait, but it was lovely. <laughs> Well, as those sage people, the stereophonics say, I think that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. No. And yeah, we exactly. all realise that. I could agree mm-hmm. more, and that's why I think pubs will do really well. I think people appreciate the pub a lot more than they did previously. Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on. Um, the best thing about the hotel sector is? Uh, the diversity. You know, mm-hmm. you, can, you can go to some of the best cities in the world for next to nothing, and, you know, pay accordingly or you can stay in some absolute love you know the best luxury in the world you know within a street of each other and i think that's the best thing about hotels and the sector that it's in you know it caters for everyone and it's made tourism much more accessible mm-hmm. absolutely um the hotel sector would be significantly improved if it's a good question i think they've used technology to a point i think there's more that can be done to be fair um Probably a bit more consistency would help. You know, I, I, I still think there's a lot of there's a lot of very good independent brands. I think there's a lot of neglected independent brands as well for historical reasons. Maybe people have inherited businesses or there's been no succession planning. So I think further investment in the sector, I think, would be a real positive as well. And again, I think you'll see that post-COVID, an acceleration of investment. can only be a good thing. Uh, what the industry needs now is... Tourism. Exactly. There is no more that needs to be said for that. People being able to travel around. Yes. I, I think that is the key, that is a key now to this, to really yeah. to, to really recover. I think once people are very comfortable travelling again, I think we'll say maybe we're out of it until that moment comes. Hmm. And clarity around what you can do. I was reading, I can't remember the statistics off the top of my head now, but the huge increase in um, the traditional high street um, travel agents that we've that have uh, that has happened is post post pandemic, um, because people are so confused as to where you can go, what the restrictions are, which forms you need to fill in, what tests you need to have. So they need to go and they want to go and physically speak to someone face to face to say, yes, if you go here, this is what you need to do. And you won't have that awful situation where you get to the airport at 5am with all the kids in tow and find you haven't got the right forms. So I think just having that a, a clear, ooh, clear communication, where who do we know that does that well? Yes. And um, that's going to really help and facilitate that movement of people. Yeah, look, I, I think you're absolutely right on the way out. I think one of the challenges also becomes is the fear of rules changing when you're abroad. I think that is still in a lot of it, look, from perspective, that, that concerns me when I'm booking. So, well, you know, do you really want to be stuck in a foreign land knowing that something could change without your control and, you know, you're rushing for a flight back or you're stuck there for an additional few weeks, whatever it may be. And I think there needs to be, and I don't know how you resolve that as well, because I think there needs to be a regulate, 
a, a global body has to take control of that and say, actually, these are the sort of protocols that we'll use, or this is the time frames we'll give you to tell you this. And I think governments, the governments, they need to be much, a bit more coordinated between whether it's the European Union with the US and the UK governments or key spots saying, look, these are the sort of rules of engagement here. So, you know, we can't have independent, independent gut. Well, can't have countries just bilaterally changing rules on each other because I think that just saps confidence away. Yeah, that's, and that is what this sector needs now, isn't it? That's what we saw after 9-11, though, wasn't it? It was that the, the problem with travel wasn't that people were afraid of being blown out of the sky. It was that they were afraid of being trapped in the wrong country. And that was the issue. It wasn't fear of, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't people didn't feel better because they had to take their shoes off or well, that was a different chat, wasn't it? But, you know, they didn't feel better because they could only have tiny little bottles. That wasn't reassuring. It was the consistency of it not happening again. It was just time that brought everyone back, wasn't it, in the end? But it's the same problem all over again. People don't want to get yeah, stuck. That's, that's a great example because I think if you've been triple jabbed, I think most people then aren't as fearful of COVID as you were in March 2020. So it's not the fear of COVID anymore. It's the fear of the knock-on impact of what it could lead to. That, that, and that, that, and we haven't, and it ha- we haven't exactly been sort of showered in reassurance, you know, for the last two years that we you got a consistent message and a, cons- a consistent approach, and so there's that kind of wearing it. Anyway, I think basically we need to sort it all out. We'll rule the world, and then that'll be fine. Um, the and the last question, Mo. I'd like to think we've learned from this. Dot dot dot. Uh, I think we've learned as well. I think there's a number of things. I think one one thing we've learned is. Human, as humans, we love to socially interact as, as people. You know, I, I think it's shown us how important that is for lots of different reasons. Um, and then, you know, that leads on to sort of how, how important hospitality is, a core part of British society and culture. You know, we are naturally people who like each other's company most of the time, I would say. Um, and, you know, it's core to that. I, I think it also, you know, COVID showed us the sort of human side. You know, sometimes you're so busy with your day-to-day stuff that you forget you forget things or, you know, you're, you're very much focused on what you do. I, th- I think what COVID has, has done is it makes you, for most people, I think, have reached out to lots of different people through COVID, have re-engaged with people. You know, technology has been embraced with, like, Zoom and so forth, um, which has been great as well. And, and I think the flexi the flexi working thing will be, you know, has definitely worked from home has definitely been much more embraced through COVID than it was pre COVID. And I think that will continue, which I think net net should, should be a positive um, for people. So, so I think look, COVID has been terrible for lots of different reasons, but I think there are, there are some positives there. I think adaptation of technology has been great. I think people valuing each other has been great. I think there's, there's generally been some great acts of kindness, kindness as well through this. Um, and you do appreciate I think you appreciate people more I think so and I think that's a very fine message to end the podcast on anything else from you Catherine no because anything I would say now would be would be cynical and chilling so um, (laughs) (laughs) it would completely ruin it so I won't Okay. Okay. Um, well, thank Mo. Thank you so much for joining us. That was really interesting. Um, and I'm pleased we managed to make time and yes, very much, very much appreciate you joining us. No, thank you very much for the kind invite. And, uh, look, if you need anything further from me, please get in touch, but lovely to meet you both. Absolutely. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you, Catherine. I will see you next week for some more podcast fun. Thank you very much, Emily. Thank you, Mo. 
Take care. Cheerio. Bye-bye. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.